Have you ever woken to find yourself finally, finally, finally in a safe place? Friend, you are in a safe place. The journey has been long, your tattered skirts now torn around the edges. It has been miles and miles of walking and some of them filled with glee and some of them filled with such pain. But now, now you are, well, you're worn down to the bone. The desert has wasted you away to nothing. Though it was your habits and your friends that got you through, now you are covered in the dust of the road, the sand of the desert and all your sweat has long ago been used up but now, now it is green all around you, it is green, it is all river and water and drinking your fill and bathing in the sweet, sweet rivers and the fruit in this place is the nectar of the gods and you let it drip down your chin, it is sensual and it is beautiful and you lie down in the shade, you rest your sore muscles and broken body and you look over this little clearing of light and love and beauty and there, as if by magic, is a glamping retreat tent big enough for you and your two companions. Why not? It just appeared in the middle of the night. Glamping retreat tents, that's what they do. <laughs> so now, so now you're doing nothing. You come out of the desert and you've found this place this place and some invisible being says hello to you and asks you for your name yes invisible being you heard what i said invisible being and glamping retreat tents that's what is happening right now and you tell her your name and you ask her what her name is and she tells you it is sanctuary it is sanctuary and she holds you like you haven't been held for such a long time. She wraps you in her arms like two lovers on a couch, grown old together now satisfied to sit in the silence. And it is in the embrace of sanctuary that all the scratches and wounds from all of your travels find their healing and all the weary parts are given life. Would there be anything sweeter than this moment, this moment this rest this intentional rest when was the last time you did nothing friend when was the last time you did not have to produce when was the last time you let yourself just be just stop just breathe slow down breathe when was the last time you didn't have to succeed did not have to change the world? When was the last time you did not feel guilty for doing nothing? And so the slow breath brings life. You are coming back to life here in sanctuary slowly there is plenty of food and your body regains its strength and and life in sanctuary is so beautifully slow and it's not just the food that is filling you the whole place is filling you you are wasting time and it feels so good you are choosing to intentionally dawdle to walk slowly and as you do your mind turns back to the journey that has been See, so your slowing down and stopping gives you the space to reflect 
and the desert and the forest and the journey. And it's in the remembering that you also remember why it is that you started this journey. You tune your ears once more into the sound of the unfamiliar tune. It is rich in this place, resonant. It's like you not only are hearing it, but you are feeling it vibrating up through the earth, that unfamiliar tune that calls you on this journey in the first place. It is here, it is present, and the invisible presence that dwells in this place, she not only holds you, now she starts to move you, to dance with you. She draws you in and sweeps you in a flight of body and spirit. You dance like water, graceful. You dance like water water and this circle of her twirl, you lose yourself. The world drops away like play. You lose yourself in the moment, dancing for no other reason than the feel of it, just for the sake of it. Limbs shooting out every direction. After some time, the dance slows and the season starts to change and the green is gone and the leaves fall from the trees around you and soon comes the snow and the magic of this place transforms that glamping tent into a cottage and the fire is always lit in the hearth of the cottage and you and your friends spend the winter there, a winter of rest. You drink whiskey and learn to knit and to talk of things past and dream of things to come indeed. So, by the unfamiliar tune reverberating deep inside, by the dance and by the memory of how far you have come and by the stillness of winter and by the magic of this sanctuary, an image starts to form in your mind, a dream, the person you desire to become through this journey, you begin to see who they are now. When you first began this journey, you had no idea where you were headed, but now, now there's some glorious image forming in the deep place inside. It is some small clarity. And so it seems that a sanctuary where you might slow down was exactly what you needed to get this clarity. <laughs> Who would have thought a glamping tent, a cottage, an invisible being named sanctuary is all you needed until one morning as the snow melted outside, both you and your two companions who step out from the sanctuary and the journey continues. Welcome to The Deep Place on creativity and spirituality. Friends, you are listening to season three of The Deep Place podcast. And in this season, we are going on a journey, the creative journey. My name's Joel McCarrow, and I'll be somewhat of a guide through the strange and wild lands that make up our creative worlds. So would you take my hand, shake the dust, pick up your packs, and let's go. The Deep Place podcast was recorded on the land of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nations, a land that was stolen. As a podcast, we pay our respects to the traditional custodians and storytellers of this land. 
and we thank Arnie Dyke her, for her blessing to tell stories and poetry on this land. Before we get more into today's episode, I want to ask you whether are you the kind of person who has creative plans and desires and projects in your brain and inspirational ideas and all this kind of stuff and yet either before you even put pen to paper or maybe you start the thing that you always have been wanting to do and you get like a chapter into it, you get one podcast episode into it, you get you you just start and you never seem to get beyond that point of just starting or or even not even starting, just having all these creative ideas but not actually getting it down and doing it. I have met so many creatives who are in that boat, who cannot seem to get past that thing. And this is one of the main reasons why I started the School for Creative Development, bringing together um, four different modules to really uh, think through and work out what would it actually look like for me to take the stuff that I am hoping, wishing, dreaming, being inspired about to do something, what would it actually look like to do that thing? And and not only what would it look like, but we're actually going to be a community who does that together, who has the projects, who works on things together. Um, it is it's it's built up of four different module learning modules and lots of different things. But in its heart, what it is is a community to come alongside each other, to champion each other, to kick each other up the butt and say, we can do this creative thing. We can do more than just dream about the ideas. We can do more than just scribble a few words on a bit of paper and never get to the next level, never develop it further. This is a place to develop it further. So come and join the School for Creative Development. Check it out at schoolforcreativedevelopment.com. Oh gosh, how much do you want this sanctuary, this this place filled with glamping tents and invisible beings and and warm whiskey on winter nights and green beautiful seasons of lushness. Ah, <laughs> oh, sounds bloody amazing, doesn't it? Um, last last episode we talked about creative rhythms that get you through the desert. Now. Um, like the need to have those rhythms when the world is dry and your passion is gone. And we touched on the necessity of having rhythms that force you to slow down. But it's so important, and I personally suck at it so much, um, that it really deserved its own episode. So here we are. We have come out of the desert and we are in sanctuary. We're in sanctuary together Um, And it feels so good where our weary bones from our journey can find uh, sustenance and strength and rest and can be our bodies can be rebuilt after the journey that has been. Um, We, friends, we're made to be people of action, but also of contemplation and of rest. 
a, a rhythm of rest in our lives, of choosing to come into sanctuary um, throughout our journey is so important. It's, I mean, it's the way the world was made to be. Like every morning, the growing dawn opens its arms to the promise of a new day. And then by dusk, the sky is once again stained red with its memory. The morning is a time of invitation, of unfolding into the light. And the evening is a time of drawing back inwards, taking into oneself the day that has been. As the falling sun draws into itself all the vibrancy and colour of the earth, so we too draw the day, our days, into the reflective space within. We hold the colour within us of our day as the world turns into grey and black night. We hold the day until sleep greets us, till we once again become open-armed and surrendered in our slumber. We let go of the day in the dreams of the night. Only to arrive empty on the shores of tomorrow, ready to be taken back into the promises of a new day of action, of all that will bring us and fill us with light. It's this cyclical movement, this, this morning, this evening, this sleeping, morning, evening, sleeping, daytime, nighttime, this cyclical movement drawing us in and letting out, of embracing and letting go, of action, of engagement, of running, of doing and then resting, soaking into us the experiences of the day and, and letting them go in the release of sleep. We're always being called back into this rhythm. It's the daytime, nighttime rhythm. Action must be met with rest again and again and again. The daytime rhythm of action, of unfolding, of interactions and relationships, of activity and projects, of being drawn out of oneself to give to the world. That, that's the way of activism. And then the evening rhythm of inward movements, of embracing and reflecting, of sorting and sifting, of drawing one's energy into the heart space where we're recreated, of letting go of control. The way of surrender. We really are a, a cyclical people, a, a people of rhythm. The, the problem is that we're not intentional about those rhythms, about the patterns by which we live, especially in regards to creativity. And, and here's the thing, whether, whether we like it or not, we will always live by rhythms. Whether we choose to or not, we live by rhythms. Often these, because we don't choose the rhythms we want to live by, often our rhythms are... Uh, are not healthy rhythms, rhythms of avoidance. They're rhythms built around doing anything but reflecting and delving inward. And so we lose our balance or, or, or the rhythms, the apathetic rhythms, those who stay sleeping too long, workaholic rhythms, those who live too many hours in the light of day or the, the self-absorbed rhythms, those who don't give of themselves to others but get stuck in the nighttime room full of mirrors and self-reflection and that is their life. They just focus on themselves. We can get stuck, whether we get stuck in the apathy or whether we get stuck in the workaholism, whether we get stuck in the night or whether we get stuck in the day, we can so easily get stuck. And so holding these rhythms together, um, what, what I'm saying is unless you choose a rhythm, a healthy rhythm of action, and contemplation, unless you choose a rhythm of rest, especially in our Western dream reality, unless you choose a rhythm of rest, 
the Western dream rhythm of productivity will choose you and you will die by it and your creativity will die by it and your relationships will die by it and 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 it will happen again, again, again. So what does it look like then for us? What does it look like for us to have to enter into sanctuary, to intentionally choose rest? That is where we're going today. Here we go. Here we go. Well, a few words from our sponsors. You know, when you find someone who feels like um, who feels like you, like you're looking at them and you're kind of looking at yourself in a mirror. I feel that with Liz Mullaney, not that she has red hair and freckles like myself. She looks very different to me in the mirror, but a metaphorical mirror, uh, a personality mirror, a, a kind of spiritual and faith journey mirror. Gosh, she, the stories she tells, I just relate so much to her trying to work through her faith in the here and now and what it looks like playing out in her life holistically. Her story feels like my story and I know it's going to feel like many of your stories too. So why don't you go check out thepracticeco.com. If you're looking for some online and accredited study, one of the ways you can do that is through the Australian College of Ministry. Uh, They've developed a groundbreaking, transformational adult learning approach that's tailored to each individual's personal needs and learning styles. Wherever you are at, wherever you're living, wherever you're doing your work, your ministry, if you're from a Christian background and you're like, yes, that's exactly what I need, Uh, some intentional um, study around my practices and how I'm living my life, then you can go and do that at both undergraduate and postgraduate level at ACOM, the Australian College of Ministry, uh, acom.edu.au. Go and have a look and and flick him an email and say, I'm really interested uh, in your courses and they'll be able to tell you all about them. All right, I've got to be honest with you. Here's the thing. I like this idea. (laughs) I like this idea of slowing down to be present. I really do. I I like the idea of it. But the reality is that I have a problem. (laughs) I do. I I have many problems. I have heaps of problems and this is one of them. Um, My my problem is... um, this way of slowing down, this way of attentiveness, this waiting, this choosing to not be productive. Oh. My, I mean, my problem is I can't stop. Like I, I personally must constantly be productive or I don't feel as though I'm doing enough. And I need to name this to you guys. And anyone who will know me will be like, yeah, well, you don't need to name it, Joel. We see it in your life, you insane person. Um, I like it because I love what I do. It's not workaholism. <laughs> This is me justifying myself now. Because I because I'm creating, it doesn't mean it's workaholism, does it? Guys? Guys, does it? <laughs> um because I love what I do, it doesn't feel like workaholism, but it 
it could so easily be, you know what I mean? It could so, like I am a driven, I'm, I'm a driven kind of person, an entrepreneurial type, a leader, a, a three on the Enneagram, the achiever, go and listen to my friend's podcast, Achievers Anonymous, any of you Enneagram threes out there, this is a plug for Achievers Anonymous by the incredible Michelle Farrell, uh, go and listen to that podcast and prepare to have your your heart ripped out as she names the truth of why you do the things you do. Oh, it's so frustrating when people do that. Anyway, um, I'm like, I'm a passionate person. I'm constantly moving, challenging myself to the new goal. The next thing I have 50 things on the go at once. And I love living that kind of life um, where I have all of these things that I'm engaging with constantly, different things, working on this project, that project, this project, doing all of, I love doing all of the things. Um, and I give my whole self to whatever I'm engaged in, like my whole self. But this then is, it, it's my greatest strength because I get a lot done. I do. I am prolific in what I do. I create a lot of things. I bring a lot of things out into this world. But it's also one of my greatest weaknesses. And I have had to spend years owning up to this. Um, and or being for maybe that's more what I've had to do spend years being forced to own up to this when um, when in the wake of my life there's been the destruction of relationships of friendships of um, when I've just made things hard for other people like the when, because I'm so focused on what is in front of me and I give myself 300% to it and I have a lot of things that I'm doing that means the other things in my life other other tasks the things that need to be done like emails and logistics and things or other people relationships family my loved ones that I need to focus on when all these things uh, fall to the periphery in my life because I am so focused, blind, like blindedly focused on what I am doing. I don't know if this is you. Uh, I don't know if this is a reality for you. This is this is just my reality. Um, for some of you, I'm sure it would be. For others, uh, it might be the opposite. It might be um, I in I move towards action. 100% I lean to that. For others, maybe you lean towards apathy, like you lean towards, if we're talking nighttime and daytime rhythms, holding these things together are so important, action and contemplation. And I think depending on our personality, we tend to lean towards the other in unhealthy ways. And so picking up for the apathetic, for the people who, I don't even want to say apathetic because it sounds judgy, judgy. It's not judgy, judgy at all. It's it's the reality that some of us, some of us find safety in action and some of us find safety in non-action. Like some of us find safety in, in the lounge room and some of us find safety on the, run, the running track. I don't know, but I, I know you get what I'm saying. Part of this, a massive part, is naming what is this thing meeting in you? What is this safe place meeting in you? Um, what are you avoiding by just, what am I avoiding by just being busy, busy, busy? 
such blindness, like the blindness of this on my part has led to the fracturing of relationships, to disappointment, to burnout in my life. I, I run the world and I miss the point. And even when I'm forced to slow down to wait for something, it's, I, I struggle with that present waiting. Um, like too often I wait distracted, burdens stacked back, folding over, the the crossed arms across the chest kind of waiting, the pacing thoughts and itchy skin. I can't wait to be doing something useful again. That kind of waiting, like this is not, it's not awareness and, and it's not presence. So just in, I told you the other day, the story of being in um, Washington, D.C. the other day, whenever that podcast came out about the story of, of me at the Khalil Gibran Memorial and how beautiful that was, um, that's, that deep, rich experience that I had. Let me tell you about just before that. So just before that, um, I am in, this is at the beginnings of my wife and I going on a, a trip for 18 months around the world. We traveled the world and we started off um, in New York City. And I've been doing heaps of stuff before that. Um, before we went on this trip is when poetry had taken over my life the last few years before that. And I'd been doing the Center for Poetics and Justice and that had really taken off. And I was busy, busy, busy. And my, uh, my partner as well was busy. And um, before that, I was running uh, a program called Year in the Sun at Table Theology College. And that's when really when poetry began to take over. And so I was doing, at that time, I was doing like like my poetry work, full-time work at the college, Center for Poetics and Justice was taking off. Like I was living the life of, I don't know, three vocations in one. It was really full on. And obviously things had to change and burnout kind of happened. And then my wife and I got rid of everything. We we got out of our rental. We got rid of all of our stuff, except for what we could fit in the, the corner of the garage at my in-laws. And then, and then we left. And and we went tripping around the world for 18 months and it was incredible. It was absolutely incredible. I could do a whole podcast season just on the experiences of that trip. If I think everyone at some point in their life, speaking of, of changing up the rhythms in our life, I wonder if at some point in our life, everyone should get rid of everything and just go, just go, just at some point, put that in, in your, on your bucket list. And then make the decision to do it at some point in your life. Um, and so there we were in New York City to start back to the point of this whole story. We're in New York City. This is before that beautiful experience in Washington, D.C. And I had been, because I'd been running these projects, I'd been running Center for Poetics and Justice at the college before that, I, I was still in like go mode. Like, uh, and so we're in New York City in this amazing place. And I'm like, all right. Every day we've got these these things. Uh, every day there's like at least five, six, seven, eight, nine things that's on my list of things to do. And so I'm dragging my wife around New York City and we're seeing this and we're going here and we're going to the Statue of Liberty and to this square and that square and we're going to the Central Park and we're going to the... Where are all the things that you see in New York City? That's where we're going. And we're going to all of them. We're doing them all really... Uh, we're just doing it. We're doing New York City and we're doing it far and we're doing it tough and we're whatever. And, um, and then there's like a few days in, right? And I'm sitting there planning out the next day. I have my list of like five things I'm Googling. And, <laughs> and, and my wife is just like, just, 
just stop. Can you just stop? You have been running your people and leading your people for so long. You're damn well not going to do that here on this trip. Stop. We are not doing anything tomorrow. Oh, smart person, my wife, smart person. And so I just stopped. I was forced to stop by her in a good way. And I, cut, and I then realised, of course I realised how insane it was that I was trying to do a million things on this supposed trip of, <laughs> of stopping. I was still doing. Um, but then we did choose to stop. I, I had to then work out intentionally how I stopped. So the next day we, we did one thing. We went to Central Park. And we just sat there all day. And I wrote a poem. And it was on that day. So this is just before the, this, this is like a few weeks before going to the Kalu Jibra Memorial and having that beautiful moment. On that day, I, I wrote a poem and I said, you know what, on this trip, I need to slow down. So here's the thing. I'm going to force myself to write a poem every single day. Not a good poem, just a poem. That right there, that's where a, a practice, a creative rhythm, a spiritual rhythm, a discipline of mine kicked in and hasn't stopped. That every single day, of course I miss some days, but every single day I write something, I write a poem. And when I'm not writing poetry and when I'm writing fiction or whatever, I write, I write something. Every day I write something. And in the writing of this thing, I'm not forcing myself to, to create the best thing, the most amazing thing, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I'm just, it's, it's forcing me to slow down and just to be present. And writing helps me do that. That's my practice. I'm, I'm so thankful that my creative practice, that my creative outlet, that my thing is a major way that forces me to stop and to slow down. Of course, there's lots of ways that I create and write and stuff that is not slowing down, that's, that is um, things that I'm writing for something, etc., etc. But the practice of writing a poem every day has forced me to slow down, to create that rhythm in my life. And that, honestly, that has saved me. Honestly, choosing to slow down and write has saved me, has saved my family, has saved, I can't even tell you. I've, I've never been taught how to do this waiting well, never present, never holding, just the blur of fast paced feet. I can't abide the silence, so I hide from it in gadgets and distractions, in iPhones, in the noise. I'm filled with earwax and with static, a radio tuned out. I don't listen to the inner voice. But then I write and I get to bend inward, not like the, not the concave bend of being forced down, but turning inward toward the, the desolate and the whispered and the unresolved and the left behind inside me. Holding hands with the silent one who sits waiting inside and hoping, always hoping that I will come to his chapel home and knock on the door 
and offer myself on the altar, learning his way of breathing and stretching and finding that the inside space is far more spacious than it looks. It's a TARDIS in there. It's a it's a Doctor Who. I'm a Doctor Who. We're all Doctor Who TARDISes. That's that's it. That's that's what this podcast is all about. You are a Doctor Who TARDIS. You are infinite inside you. So melt into that infinity, that spaciousness. Learn yourself again. Travel inside you be inside you, rest inside you, find sanctuary inside you, listen and wait the deeper inside, the deeper outside. We started this this whole season of the podcast started with a a quote from Lord of the Rings, the road goes ever on and on. And um, this this same little song happens, little ditty happens, I think it's like three times in the Lord of the Rings that it happens. It, it happens at the start and then midway through um, the, the little ditty is sang again, but there's one word that, that changes. Um, let me read it to you and, and maybe see if you can guess. The road goes ever on and on, down from the door where it began. Now far ahead the road has gone and I must follow if I can, pursuing it with weary feet until it joins some larger way where many paths and errands meet and whither then I cannot say. What's the, the different, the different word? In the first one, it's pursuing it with eager feet. And now as we're on the journey, our eager feet have turned to weary feet. Our eager feet have turned to weary feet. Friends, you need sanctuary. You have been running for too long and like me, I know many of you struggle with this, but you need it. So here's a poem for you that I wrote with with the incredible band Brother C from my human exhibition. Have a listen. We are learning how to exhale. Slow down, breathe out, slowly be still, be present doesn't come easy. So how can we sit still when life is so full, when it's so brimming over with promise and invitation, something new around the corner and everything is the call to adventure, to taste and to feel, to race, wind through hair, fireworks in the sky, this celebration, this party life, this pace, full lungs, hoist the sails, ride the waves, itchy feet, always horizon, always chasing to not miss out on the next thing and the next thing and then we're learning how to exhale, slow down, breathe out, slowly, be still, be present, it does not come easy to remember there is an anchor for such a time as this. To remember there is a mooring and a safe harbour. And it is okay to let the world pass you by for a time. To sit and be all bovine and free. You met my friend Highland Pete. He can amble like the best and dawdle like the rest. And what I am saying is, do not run so fast that you leave yourself behind. Every ship has to find birth. 
lower the sails, to check the hull, to look inside, where it is the underbelly of the broken boat that matters most. And hasn't the world leaked too fast into these, our wooden boat souls? So chase the wind, of course, chase the wind. But remember the reason, pull out the maps, the compass, do not let your wandering be a wayward thrust into nothing of value. Know that your direction is sure. Around the corner is indeed another adventure. You beautiful boat, you broken vessel, you holy ship, you sacred sailor. The tides will rise and the wind will come and the sails be full once more. But for now, just be bovine and free. Just amble and dawdle and chase the wind out of this reality. It doesn't come easy, but we are learning how to exhale, slow down, breathe out, slowly, be still, chew the grass, be so, so slow, just for a time. All right, so what does, what does sanctuary have to teach us? Or what, is, what does sanctuary bring about in us? What does this rest bring about within us on our creative journey? Let me give you just a few points here. How many points have I got? Like four or five points, five points um, for what this brings about in our lives. Point number one, it makes what we do actually sustainable. That's why we need it. It gives us something to shape our creative lives around. It is a well to draw our creativity out of. Um, There's a beautiful community here, and I've mentioned this community a number of times because they embody these values so incredibly the, the community of transfiguration here in Victoria, in Australia, are a monastic order. They live by a common, uh, common set of values and a common rule that they say, this is if, if you're part of this community, this is how you're going to live. So they live below the poverty line and sustainably and lots of different things. And one of the, there's two values of their community that I love, that I constantly think about because they are so challenging for me as this person who struggles to to slow down. They give us, I think because both of them name the problem and also give us a way forward. It names a problem and gives us a way forward. Here's the two things for you to uh, have a think about. The first value, the, their first statement is, we need to stop resting from work and start working from a place of rest. Let me say that again. We need to stop resting from work and start working from a place of rest. Most of us, we engage with our life in a way that is like work, 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 work. And then oh, we get to the weekend and we can rest. Um, what they're saying here is we need to flip that on its head and actually begin to do our work out of a place of rest. That this place of rest, this sanctuary should be that wellspring from which the rest of our work life and our creative life outflows. And so just that simple change of um, perspective on the way you live your life, um, it's been huge for me, actually, this changing that idea so that I'm not 
working with the desire to then get to this place where I can rest. But instead, rest then becomes this, it's not even just getting to stop on the weekend. Like that's that just cheapens what rest is. Actually, rest is a place of contentedness within yourself that regardless of whatever happens in your life, you will be okay. It's a choosing to slow down and know that your worth is not found in the doing and the product productivity and the work. Your, your worth is found just in you being you. And therefore, out of your ability to rest in that knowing, to rest in that knowing comes the activities of rest comes the um, the comes the things you get to do on the weekend in terms of slowing down, reading books, having a glass of wine, whatever it might be. But at its heart, it's a change not just of practice, but of perspective and of where you find your worth. So you find your worth in a place of rest. That then changes the activities that you engage with in rest. And that then changes how you engage in your work life, in your day life, in your action, um, what you're doing in the world. It, It comes therefore out of a place of, I don't need to prove myself. If I can rest in the knowing that who I am is worthy without having to prove myself, then the things that I do, they can come out of the motivation simply to love people, to serve people, to bring the best out of what I, to use my skills and my creativity to bring the most beautiful things out into the world, rather than always seeking to find my worth in other people's perspective on what I'm doing, on who I am. That, friends, like that changes everything to hold on to our worthiness coming out of uh, like this is the core identity question kind of stuff Um, and it takes years and I keep on coming back to this to my need to work from this place of rest rest being the rest that comes out of my core identity my worthiness just as me being me regardless of all the things that I do Therefore, this links to their second, the second value from the commun- the transfig community, community of transfiguration. The, the other value that I love of theirs is this. They say, to breathe peace into the world, to disarm the world, we must first disarm our own hearts. To breathe peace into the world, to disarm the world, we must first disarm our own hearts. Oh, What a beautiful thing to uphold that we seeking to be peacemakers and peace bringers in a world of violence. If we are going to disarm the world in all the ways that this world needs to be disarmed, first, we also, we must disarm our own hearts in all the ways that violence has crept into our own hearts, in all the ways that we uh, oppress without realizing, in all the ways that we have guarded ourselves with defensiveness in relationships, etc., etc. All these ways that that we need to disarm our own defenses, our own uh, negative coping mechanisms, the way that we have sought to hold the world out at arm's length. If we're going to bring peace to the world, we need to find that peace in and of ourselves. And that that comes through self-confrontation. 
that comes through being willing to look at the ways that I have armed myself against this world. And that comes, that can only come, I think, out of a place of rest. When we are in sanctuary, we are then able to do that self-discovery, to look at ourselves in the mirror, to disarm our hearts. This is what's happening in sanctuary, in our intentional times of rest on the creative journey. Our hearts are being disarmed. Our creative output begins to flow out of a better wellspring, flowing out of our rest, our sanctuary, our identity, our core. This is who I am regardless of whatever happens within this world. That is what sanctuary, what rest is seeking to to bring about. It's seeking to anchor you in who you are and from that place, engage with the world. That's point number one. Number two, in what this rest is bringing about within us. In, in sanctuary, we can, we reflect backward. We, we can reflect backward onto uh, the journey that we have had. And you heard that in that, that, that story that I shared at the top uh, of the podcast. Um, the slowing down creates a space to then be able to think backwards on the journey that we have been on. And I wonder if, I wonder if this is a core reason of why we avoid it or like why we run from the sanctuary, from the oasis in the desert of our creative journey. Um, why do we run from it? Why don't we do it? I think because we're scared of, we're as scared of the past as we are of the future so often. Like we're scared of looking at the choices that we made of sitting in that it'll just lead to regret, to shame, to guilt. But I, I think there is a healthy way of looking backward. And I think when we, when we run from it, um, we're just avoiding those feelings of regret, shame and guilt. But I think if we can look back at the choices we've made, the journey we've been on, name what these things are that is causing perhaps regret or shame or guilt or whatever it might be within our lives, then the regret, shame, guilt won't dictate our, our steps into the future. We can choose to look back so that we can walk healthy, walk a full journey into the future. There's a healthy way of looking back. Life, uh, Soren Kierkegaard says, life can only be understood backwards but it must be lived forward. Life can only be understood backwards because it must be lived forward. Or as a friend of mine says, an unreflected experience is a wasted experience. So much of the things on our creative journey, on our life journey that we go through, we don't look back upon and reflect upon them and, and it becomes a wasted thing. We just get on with the next thing and the next thing and the next thing. Choosing to slow down and look back is so important to, to celebrate, to learn different ways of, of being, to um, to critique in a healthy way what led to, to the negative things, et cetera, et cetera. Looking back is really important. Um, Andrew Mitchell, who's a, a wonderful human being who runs a thing called The Design Coach. I got to hang out in Byron Bay recently with a whole bunch of interior designers and decorators. Andrew Mitchell runs this thing and, and just a beautiful example of someone in the creative industries who's doing the work, like doing the self-work so that 
his um, his creativity and the community that he's brought around him um, can flourish and thrive, not just in their creativity, but in their humanity, in who they are in their lives. He talks about this as positive retrospection. We need some positive retrospection in our life, like honoring ourselves for how we have come. That's a major part of looking backwards, celebrating how far we have come. That positive retrospection saying, I remember getting through this and I've got through this forest and this desert and and these beautiful things, positive retrospection. And I would also add like a a critical retrospection. That's not not a critiquing one, not a negative one, but so that so that our reality and our rhetoric can become congruent. That's why we look back. We look back to celebrate, yes, but when we look back and see those negative realities or the things when things didn't work out, whatever it might be, it's so that our reality and our rhetoric can become congruent. In other words, so often when we ignore what has happened in our lives, then we can say all we want about what we want our life to be about, about what we want our creativity to be about, Like that's our rhetoric, what we say, but our reality might look really different. I think so much of the the human journey, of the spiritual journey, of the creative journey is about bringing together our rhetoric, what we say we're on about, and our reality, what our lives actually look like. There is a lot of incongruence. We, We choose to ignore that incongruence, but the beauty of slowing down and rest is that we can actually face that incongruence and that we can bring our reality and our rhetoric together. And I say beauty because, as I said, I think we fear this, like we fear looking at these things and 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 feeling shame about them when actually I think we're called to look at them so that we can move on, so that we can grow in who we are. And that is a beautiful thing. That is a beautiful thing to stop tricking. We're so good at tricking ourselves, saying one thing about what we're on about when reality is different. Looking backward helps us to name the reality and it's from this reality we can then move forward. But we can't move forward when we're just tricking ourselves and we're like, oh, that that desert trip, yeah, that was fine. Oh, well, that was easy. Like that didn't affect me at all. That forest, that was nothing. Uh, I didn't get lost in the forest. Nah, nah. When, when really we almost died on that in that bloody desert. Like we almost got lost forever in the forest. Naming this and saying, here's my mistakes. Here's where I went wrong. Or here's what I learned. Here's what happened in the forest, in the desert, in the mountaintops, in the wilderness, in the wilds. Here's what happened when I left um, my home and I didn't leave well and these relationships were fr- Whatever it might be, we need to remember. We need to, this, a slowing down is the intentional choice to face our own reality. And that is what's going to move you forward in life. That is what's going to move you forward in life. And as we do that, the beautiful thing, one of the things that we that we say within the um, poetry world, when someone gets up at a poetry slam to share their poem with the world, one of the things that the audience often call, there's different things we call out if, if someone's doing a new poem. Um, I mean, you, you guys would know that we, we, we snap, we click uh, for when someone, uh, when, when there's a beautiful line, something that we like, when someone gets up and says a new poem, they're like, oh, I've got this new poem to share. Then everyone in the audience shells, um, yells out, new shit. Uh, or if you don't like the word shit, you can yell out fresh. Uh, but one of the things that we also, we poetry world is a random world, I know. Um, performance poetry scene, the slam poetry scene. One of the things we also yell out is when someone gets up is remember why you wrote it. 
Just before someone's about to start, you might hear someone in the audience yell out, remember why you wrote it. And I love that. I love that about the poetry scene, um, that there's this, there's this uh, way that we call people back to the heart of what they're on about. And sanctuary allows us to remember why we wrote it. It allows us to slow down enough to remember at the heart, at the core, this is what I am on about. This is why I'm doing what I'm doing, why I am on this journey in the first place. As a real practical thing, I major part of this is writing it down. Go back in sanctuary in your times of rest, spend some time in a notebook, in your diary, writing down the experiences that you have had. I do this every new year as a way of thinking back over the the past year that was, but at any time, especially if you haven't done it, sit there, write down the experiences that you've had over the last year. Um, uh, Face the ones that you don't want to face. Ask curious questions about them. Let the beautiful memories fill you with love and hope and celebration, um, positive retrospection. Do some critical retrospection. Those Ask the questions that are hard to ask, not to critique, to celebrate, to celebrate and to move forward to being, to having the most flourishing, thriving, creative practice and life that you can have. That is point number two. Point number three about what we can learn and engage with in times of sanctuary, choosing intentional rest is in sanctuary, as you heard from the story at the start, we get to dance and we get to play. This invisible force, person, presence that was sanctuary in that story brought a healing to the wounds of, of the past of our protagonist in this story, but also then drew them into a dance. And and I brought that into that story because I think like dancing and and play, they are things that have no purpose. Of, Of course, they can have purpose. You can dance to have a purpose, to get fit to, um, because you're a dancer and you're making a show because all those kind of things. But if you're just, just dancing just for the hell of it, just for no purpose, wasting time in an intentional, beautiful way. Um, these these kind of things is is what someone calls, what a bunch of researchers, et cetera, et cetera, called atelic, atelic activities. They're activities that are done for their own sake, just for their own sake. They have no point other than that. They're done for their own sake, not in order to achieve a particular end. They are an event without an inherent endpoint, atelic events. Sanctuary draws us into atelic events to to name, especially for us who love to achieve and produce, to name like, what what if wasting time is not a negative thing? It's not a negative thing to peruse, to play, to play. There's a wonderful lady, researcher named Kenda Creasy Dean. He says, the act of playing has a back and forth quality to it. It's always relational. Play's reward comes from the deep satisfaction of losing ourselves in the play, the moment of self-abandonment in which the reality we glimpse but cannot grasp 
somehow grasps us. Oh, there's so much beauty to un- unpack in that. Um, the, the glorious thing, all of you who have been listening and moaning because the creative journey is like one conflict after another, after another, after another desert forest. Now you get to play, yay, and play what it brings. It's, it's similar to creative flow in the sense that when, when children are playing, when my, my daughter loves imaginary play and <laughs> my partner hates imaginary play with her, but when, <laughs> but when, uh, when you see my daughter playing and there's this moment when the rest of the world disappears and it's just her in the, whatever she's doing, like it becomes her whole world. That's, that's what we get to do when, when we rest. When that's what play and rest and dance brings about. We need this. We need atelic things within our creativity. So much of the best creative stuff that I've ever created have come out of atelic moments where I'm not seeking to create something for something. I'm just playing. I'm just dancing with creativity. I'm just, I'm, I'm losing myself in self-abandonment. Um, I'm in a safe enough place. I'm in a sanctuary, a place of rest where I can just dawdle, play on the, with the paints play with the um, with the dance whatever it might be these atelic these moments of self-abandonment during play that allows us to lay down our control our surrender and enter into that beautiful flow state Scott Kaufman says the mental state of being that that flow state is the mental state of being completely present and fully immersed in a task It's a strong contributor to creativity, he says. When in flow, the creator and the universe become one. Outside distractions recede from consciousness. One's mind is fully open and attuned to the act of creating. There's very little self-awareness or critical self-judgment, just intrinsic joy for the task. Intrinsic joy for the task. Choose in your creative practice. Write them down, block it out, Block out atelic time, atelic time in your creative practice where you're just getting to play with your creativity to enter into those those things that bring you into creative flow um, where where everything else disappears and you're just totally focused. And I mean, it's beautiful even in the sense of like it's in creative flow that that quantities of all those beautiful neurochemistry stuff that happens in our brain of neuroreferin and, and dopamine and endorphins and serotonin that like in creative flow, all these things flood our system. They're, it's pleasure inducing things. That's why we love this stuff, but we don't give ourselves enough to it. Block out atelic time within your career. I know that sounds strange to block out unintentional time, but it is really important. Be intentional about being unintentional. Oh, did you hear that? Be intentional about having times of unintentionality, opening up to the flow of where creativity might send you soaring and bringing you a freedom that you've never known. And then in that play, for sure you can take these things and you can make a thing later um, out of them. But play, like for me, wood carving and and furniture making and painting and drawing, these are things that I don't I just get to play with. What are your things? What are your atelic things? Play just for the sake of playing. What are they going to be and where are you going to block them out in your life? Work that out. That's step number four. 
I tell a lie, that was step number three. Step number four now, not even step, these aren't steps, these are just the things that we learn in moments of rest and slowing down in sanctuary. In sanctuary, we enter into the winter season of our creative productivity. And the winter season is really important. So so spring, spring is the time of a new birth, a new thing, potentiality, the invitation into new projects to develop new ideas, a pulled back elastic band about to be released and being, it's the being released. It's green and flowers, the budding of something new, the flowers that break through, colors that are dazzling, rolling meadows and rebirth, the seeds that press through the soil. We all begin again and all things begin again and begin again and begin again. And that is spring, but seasons come and seasons go. And spring leads to summer, the summer of beach the sun is high, the water is fine, the sky is the brightest blue, the world is alive with activity, your creativity is alive with activity. This is the season of touring, of pouring out, of releasing things out into the world, of giving yourself out to people, um, of bringing out a book in a few months, of chasing and of hustling, of releasing, of, of relationships, of networking, of sunny days, of all this activity. This is the season of activity. But seasons come and seasons go. And then there is the autumn or the fall, which is the time when the cold wind begins to find its way to you, blowing around you, between you, within you. When what has been green and summer and overflowing begins to orange and fade. When the feeling of love wavers, there's a shedding of old skin and a dropping of the leaves that once flooded so bright in the blue sky, the wind that now brings in the cold and the clouds and the rain and what was beautiful and what was bountiful and the thing you had so much love for is now fading away. Can you feel it? The leaves dropping from the trees of your passion. You're being called inside, called to stop giving, giving, giving. It's time to shed what has been. Seasons come and seasons go and then comes the winter. Out there, cold and frost and warm clothes. The winter can be a frozen place and it can freeze you. But the winter is also a time of fireplace and misty skies and ski slopes and snow fights and turning inward and holding silence and warming each other and letting hot chocolate or whiskey warm your insides. The winter season is important for you. The winter season is the time to turn inward, to get off social media, to not put pressure on yourself to be producing. Something is happening inside you in winter. It is a depth a depth to yourself and subsequently a depth to your artistic practice that is being carved deep inside you. It is time to go inward, to lay low, close to the fire, to huddle down. These are the seasons, friends. The summer time of action, like the daytime of action and the autumn of fall, into winter of choosing to slow down. But here's the thing, is when we are in the winter season, here's the challenge when it's winter, the challenge is to accept this season for what it is. When it's autumn, don't wish that it was spring. 
Rather, know that in every season, something important is happening and and your job is to notice the season you are in and allow that, allow yourself to adapt accordingly to the season that you're in. That when you are in seasons of sanctuary and rest and winter and huddling down and self-reflection and introspection, own that season. Give yourself to that season and stop wishing you were in the summer. Stop wishing you were in the summer. It's going to kill you if you're trying to be in the summer when it's winter. You're going to walk outside with your with your tiny teeny pants on, <laughs> with your swimming pants on, your your banana hammocks, <laughs> your, your whatever, whatever, your thongs, uh, both thongs that Australians would call thongs on your feet and thongs the Americans call thongs, the other thongs, the banana hammocks. The, what, what the heck am I even talking about now? Friends, don't get the seasons mixed up. Choosing to slow down allows you to name which season that you're in to say, actually, this is the summer season. I need to be out there. I'm going to be going for it. And I've got the passion and the energy and the giving and the, I'm going to be out there and I'm talking to people and I'm going to festivals and I'm putting myself out there. I'm submitting to this and submitting to that. But you also have to name when it is the winter season and own that. You know, sometimes the cold of winter gets so deep in our bones, we can't even imagine life without it. And so though the summer sun is pouring its glorious heat upon us, we get stuck still in the winter. We stay inside our small houses, even though the sun is blazing outside and the ocean is calling us to go swimming, we get stuck in the woe is me. We do not look out to see that the sun, the sun and the beauty where you don't let yourself enjoy the moment. We get so caught up in the things that have made life hard, we forget to let revelry rise up in us. We forget to go to the beach, to ride the waves, to play in the sand, to look up to the heavens and thank God for a life that is filled with love. Live life to the full in the spring and the summer. But then work out how do you live life to the full in the winter and the autumn season? How do you give yourself to that season of rest? Creating rhythms of rest, naming the season that you are in. See, I think our rhythms, here's the thing, our rhythms need to adapt to the season that we're in. Don't try to do your summer rhythms around whatever it might be, social media, how creative, productive you are, et cetera, et cetera. Don't try to do your summer rhythms when it's winter. In winter, you work out what are your winter rhythms going to be. In fact, do it up, right? Do a little little quad, draw up a little quad, quad, what am I saying? A quad thing in a in a book, like four squares, one winter, one spring, one autumn, one summer, and, and really get into the specifics of the rhythms and practices that you have. We started looking at them last week, but get into the specifics. Which season do they lie in? How will they change as to the season that you are in? When you are in sanctuary and the seasons come and the seasons go, what, how are you going to adapt? What, new, what rhythms do you need to have in the winter season, summer season, etc., etc.? Last one, 
last thoughts as we, we're coming home with the last thing that we find in sanctuary, what sanctuary teaches us. In sanctuary, we can begin to dream forward again. We have found healing from the wounds of the past. We have played and we have danced and we have remembered and reflected backwards. And as we're doing this, we begin to have more clarity. More clarity begins to firm up in our hearts, in our dreaming of what we are on about, what our direction should be. We begin to have more clarity around that. What do we want our creative practice to look like? What is this journey, this creative journey that we're on? What is this leading me to? Creativity, as I said before, is atelic. We need creative practices that are atelic, but we also need, but creativity is also um, telic. It's also teleological. I'm sorry, I know some of you might be like, too many big words, Joel, stop it with all your big words. Let me let me break it down for you. Atelic is the things we do that have no point. Teleological or telic things are the things we do that all lead toward something. Telos in Greek means purpose or a goal. So a telic or a teleological thing is an event with an inherent endpoint, an endpoint that shapes what comes before it. In other words, we start with the endpoint and then we reverse engineer backwards. So we need atelic things in our creativity, events, experiences, practices, atelic practices that have no endpoint, but we need to have and we also need to have an endpoint. We also need to have those things we're heading towards, the goals we're heading towards. Um, and when we see the goal that we're heading towards, this thing we are creating and making and building out of our life, then we can work out, okay, if this is the goals, if this is what I'm headed to, headed towards, now reverse engineer, what does that mean I need to do now? Well, if I'm heading towards this, this specific creative um, creative. Uh, thing that I'm making, designing, this this specific creative activity that I'm doing, this is the end point of that. Now, what does that mean for the next year of my life? If this is one year away, if I'm making a book, what does that mean for the next year? What does that look like? Break it down. What does this mean for the next, for those 12 months? What does that mean for this next month? What does that mean for tomorrow? Find that endpoint. What is your endpoint, your telos, your goal, your get some clarity. This is where we begin to get that clarity, a bit more clarity around our endpoint of what we're heading towards, what we're creating out of our creative life in general or specific creative projects that we're doing. Look, get some clarity around it so that you can then reverse engineer of what you need to begin to do as you step out of rest into activity again. How can you be building, not superfluously, but building things towards this grand thing you are making? Stephen Covey says, to begin with the end in mind means to start with a clear understanding of your destination. It means you know where you're going so that you better understand where you are now so that the steps you take are always in the right direction. A vision of who you're going to be and where you're heading. That's what we're going towards. But but don't do this now. Here's, I almost didn't want to bring this in because sanctuary allows us to do that if if we're allowing ourselves to rest, to be atelic, to play, to dance, to find healing, don't go straight to this point, especially you people who are like me. I can see you all out there, you red-headed achievers. <laughs> um, don't go straight to this. We dream forward 
in sanctuary, but that will come out of this intentional rest and play and atelic. The teleological needs to come out of the atelic. This beginning to focus on the future, on where we're going, what's, where this is taking me, it's going to come out of intentional rest. So begin with the rest and the play and the slowing down and the remembering and the reflecting and the winter. And then this is almost like when, when spring starts to come around again, we begin to dream forward where this journey is going. So spend some time in the rest and then begin to write down. Then, and make sure you write it down. Um, and we'll, we'll talk more about this, where this journey's going. As we head towards the end of this season of the podcast, we'll, we'll talk more about this, the future stuff of where we're going to. But for now, rest. And in your rest, I believe you will start to have visions of the future. You will start to have visions of the future. All of this comes about through intentional choice. Do not walk past the oasis, the sanctuary, the river that is waiting on your journey because it looks like, oh, no, I've got all these things to do. I've got all these, I've got this direction I want to head. I've got to keep on going. No, I've got to keep on going. I've got to keep on going. No, you, if you're going to keep on going, if you're going to make this journey, you must stop, stop, just stop, which is where my story from the start of this podcast episode falls down in, in its analogy, in its illustration, um, is that the main character came across the end of the desert and they came across the sanctuary there. But for us, it, it's, not, it's really not so obvious. We ignore our emaciated body that is in pain from our journey. We ignore the invitation to rest. We're like crawling and desperate and hurting and starving and desperately needing water. But we put on our brave face and we just keep on walking straight past the bloody water source, straight past sanctuary. We walk past it thinking we can do this creative life, thinking we've got all these things, whatever it might be, however you walk past it, recognize you need it like I need it. So we need to choose it. We need to block it out. In your diary, go and block out atelic sanctuary space. Go write it in your in your thing. Get a, I don't know, I'm sure I would have said this to you already. Get a diary, get a, a way that you can block out time and block it out. Write sanctuary and block it out. I have to block out rest in my life, in my diary. If it's not blocked out, it's not going to happen. And perhaps you need to as well. Friends, give yourself to the rhythm, yes, of action, but also of contemplation. Give yourself to the task of doing nothing, of just being, of slowing down. And I promise you, I promise you, all the active things you want to do, when they come out of this wellspring, all the creative projects that you have, they will find a new life within them. And your life, your life itself and all the work you do, all the relationships you have, when we face our fears and slow down and do nothing and reflect and be present, all of our, our whole lives are filled with a deeper energy and a deeper substance. Truly let us stop resting from work and start working and living and creating out of a place of rest. I'll see you next time.